passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This episode, episode 177, for the love of the game, on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews for every league. Major League Baseball, we're going to have playoffs right around the corner. NFL, we're in the thick of it. NBA is right around the corner. NHL season's right around the corner. You can even bet on combat sports, esports, and golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So head to BetOnline today. Use promo code BLEAV50, that's bleav five zero to get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, get a 50% welcome bonus. Use promo code bleav five zero to get started. BetOnline, where the game starts with that said, episode 177 for the love of the game. Let's get this work. I used to front when I write songs, talk about having ice on, and I could barely keep my lights on, and my beats is so sick, I should have got a medic, but my credit was so pathetic, I couldn't afford a debit, when the dropout dropped, I had to cop me a money tree, to front on anybody who ever tried to front on me, with so much personality, what do you want from me, I could be by myself and enjoy. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, episode 177 for the love of the game with yours truly, ATH, it's Aaron Tobin, has back in the saddle back behind the mic and fresh off of the Rosh Hashanah holiday. So it definitely affected my sports viewing. So I will not comment on the Giants game because I did not get a chance to watch the Giants game. Really I read about it. I heard that the offensive line had a tough night. Kayvon Thibodeau made his debut, but didn't really do a whole heck of a lot. But because I didn't watch it, can't really talk about it. But Giants are two and one. And we'll see what happens against the Bears because depending on what happens next week, that can really shape which way their season goes. So anyway, so right now the baseball teams, the New York Mets are in a dogfight right now. They're in a dogfight with the Atlanta Braves. And for the Mets, it is imperative that they somehow win this division. Because if they win this division, the way the playoff structure works the Braves would theoretically have to play the Dodgers in the first round of the real playoffs. So let the Braves and the Dodgers beat up on themselves. The Mets would play the Cardinals, which for them is a lot easier road to get to the World Series. And I would, uh, I really implore the Mets to take care of business. And it's going to come down to the last three games against Atlanta 
and the Mets really have to take care of business and win this division because their road to winning the World Series is significantly easier if they win the division. I think the Mets could easily win the World Series if they win the division, but we're going to have to see because right now they're deadlocked. They're tied atop the standings, and it's going to be an interesting finish to the end of the season. I'm hoping for the best for the Mets. I really am. As for the New York Yankees, well, congratulations to the New York Yankees. They clinched the AL East. Aaron Judge, having a great year, is still on pace to break Roger Maris's mark of 61. He hasn't done it yet. He's stuck on 60. Teams are pitching around him. Fine. I'd rather him focus on winning the batting title because if he wins the batting title, that means he's not going into a slump. He's not swinging for the fences. But I believe that he'll get the record. I think he's going to get 62 or even 63. We'll see how that goes. But congratulations to the Yankees for winning the AL East. It's been an up-and-down year. Looked like they were going to set a wins record. Then it looked like they couldn't win a game in July, part of August. But right now they clinch the division. And their road is significantly easier now that they are not going to have to be playing wild card. You don't have to worry about any of that. Just take care of business. I will say one thing. Even though things are all good in Yankee land right now, and they seem to be getting hot a little bit, but I'm going to pour some water on the New York Yankees, specifically with the state of the franchise. I know I this may sound like sour grapes for a team that won the division and won 95 games and has a chance to win 100 games. However, it seems to me that the New York Yankees are winning in spite of the organization. That the players on the field are winning in spite of the organization. And what do I mean that by that? I think the manager is a buffoon who all he does well is go out to argue balls and strikes and protect his players from getting tossed. That's about the only thing he does well. And they're not going to fire him because he's a puppet for the organization and he's a puppet for the stat nerds in the front office. Which brings me to the front office. Brian Cashman. It's just gone on too long, man. It's gone on too long. And the thought process behind the front office is faulty. They had a chance this year to significantly increase their odds of winning a World Series. Luis Castillo from the Reds, who's now a member of the Seattle Mariners, was out there. The Yankees have prized prospects, three of them, which play shortstop. Volpe, Peraza, I'm forgetting the name of the other one. They have three of them, okay? They can't all play shortstop. So you're going to say we're going to move on to second base? Fine. But let me ask you this, Yankee fans. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that the Yankees developed a highly touted prospect that panned out? Well, you'll say Aaron Judge, and that's the right answer, and he turned out to be awesome. But before that, when was it? We always hear about these top prospects. We always hear about them throughout the years, and they never, ever, ever pan out, basically. And they had a chance to go get a pitcher 
that would have significantly given them better odds to win the World Series, which is the goal, to win the World Series. And they chose to hold on to the prospects, partially because they value these prospects too highly and partially because they don't want to spend the money to sign Castillo in the offseason. And guess what? Then they bring Peraza up when the team's struggling, and they don't play him. So what's the point of holding on to these prospects if we're not even going to get them to play? The Yankees do this all the time. They basically value their prospects, and then they diminish the value of their prospects by not playing them. And they could have had and should have had Castillo, you know, because they are the New York Yankees, and they are the most valuable franchise in Major League Baseball that prints oodles and oodles of money. Which then brings me to the ownership group, which is running this team like a small market team. The Yankees should never be run like a small market team, ever. Ever. It's just incredibly frustrating. And you're going to see it now when Aaron Judge, who bet on himself and is going to make oodles and oodles of money, don't be surprised, Yankee fans, if they cheap out and don't get the deal done and he signs elsewhere. Don't be surprised. You heard it here first. Do not be surprised if the Yankees can't close this deal. If they can't close the deal there and judge, then, you know, it's almost like cancel the franchise. Because then what are you doing? You're the New York Yankees. I know this is sour grapes coming from a fan of a team that just won 95 games, could win 100 games, and is in the mix to win a World Series. But they could have done more to get it done. And the fact that they didn't is a major red flag for how this iteration of Yankees baseball is going to go. But we'll see what happens. They're in the mix. They got some guys coming back from injury. It's going to be interesting to see how the lineup shakes out. I don't want to see Josh Donaldson play meaningful games in the playoffs. I don't want him starting. I don't want Aaron Hicks anywhere near the roster. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But So kudos to the Yankees for winning the AL East playoffs. Here we come. But I, the long-term outlook of this franchise is, is concerning, to say the least. A couple of NFL notes. And again, I didn't get to watch the Sunday night game. I didn't get to watch the Monday night game where the Giants got beat by the Cowboys. But I watched a lot of the Sunday slate. A couple of notes. My Jacksonville Jaguars. They look legit. They've got athletes all over the field. Trevor Lawrence looks like he's taking a leap. He was excellent against a very talented Chargers team. And we'll get to them in a second. But the Jaguars look legit. And I think the Jaguars are going to win that division. And one of my locks for them to win over six and a half games looks fantastic. The Chargers, who the Jaguars handed them a nice 38-10 to 10 beatdown. Well, it's looking like the season from hell from the Chargers, from a health standpoint. And what do you know? Weird things happen to the Chargers every year, which is why you can't get excited about the Chargers. Justin Herbert, broken ribs, was lingering from the Thursday night loss against the Chiefs. And it's 38-10, five minutes left, the game's over. I don't know why he's trotting out back on the field. That's crazy. Joey Bosa, hurt. Keenan Allen hurt. I, I just don't understand why things always happen to the Chargers for a team that's not traditionally cursed 
like the Cleveland Browns or the New York Jets. The Chargers sure have a lot of crap to them, and this year seems no different. The Cincinnati Bengals against the Jets seem to have gotten right. Joe Burrow had a rough first game with turnovers. He hasn't turned the ball over in two straight games. The offensive line didn't go against Micah Parsons or TJ Watt, so the offensive line looked better. They've got a tough test against Miami, but Miami's exhausted after winning a crazy game in the heat of South Florida to come back to win the to come back and win again Thursday night against a team that, you know, took it a little bit easier, had a little bit easier of a day in the Cincinnati Bengals. I kind of like the Bengals in this spot. It will not be one of my picks against the spread. We'll get to those in a second, but I would never wavered off the Bengals. I think the Bengals are good. I think the Bengals are going to continue to ascend. Speaking of the Dolphins, an impressive, impressive win. The Bills, who I still think are the best team in football, lost a weird game to the Miami Dolphins. And the home field advantage for Miami in September with the humidity and the heat is very real because the Bills ran 90 plays on offense. That's like a game and a half's worth of plays. The Dolphins only ran 39 plays. The Dolphins also punted. You know, the punter hit a punt into the upback's anus and went out for a safety, all right? Usually if those things happen, if you have a butt punt, you're going to lose, all right? And the fact that the Dolphins' defense was able to hold up the way they did against probably the best offense in the league is incredible. So I still think the Bills are the best team in the league. I think you're going to see that when they play in Buffalo and if they played again a third time. I would say the Bills win that game 99 times out of 100. But that doesn't mean the Dolphins aren't for real because they are, all right? They arguably have the best set of wide receivers in the league. I mean. Cincinnati has a case to that. Philadelphia has a case. But there aren't that many better than Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Those guys are awesome. And I've been to a believer, and he's looked really, really good the last two games. He looked a little shaky against the Patriots, but he's thrown some really nice balls the last two weeks. And the Dolphins win with Tua. Look at their last 12 games. They're like 11-1. and It's crazy. Uh, So, yeah, kudos to the Dolphins and their defense especially because that's a big-time win. Okay, so picks against the spread. Last week we got back on winning track. We were 3-2. and I totally brain farted and didn't realize that the Steelers-Browns is a Thursday night game. Had I realized that, I would not have wagered on it or given it out as a pick, but I did. So we're 3-2. and We're trending upward. So here are this week's picks against the spread. Number one, I'm going back to the well. My Detroit Lions. I've said Lions and Jaguars every week. And we're going back to low with the Lions. Minus four and a half at home against Seattle. I think Seattle's really bad. I think the Lions are exciting and can move the ball and can put up points. I don't think Seattle can match them. So I like the Lions minus four and a half. I like the Texans plus five and a half at home against the Chargers. The Chargers are super banged up. Super banged up, as I mentioned before. The Texans are a little frisky. They're not good, but they're frisky. And home underdogs early in the season, they've paid dividends, and they continue to pay dividends. See last week, the Colts and the Chiefs, I like the Texans to cover the number, even if I don't think they're going to win the game. 
The Jaguars. We're going back to the well again with the Jaguars. Plus five and a half at the Eagles. I know the Eagles look like gangbusters. But as I mentioned, I think the Jaguars are good. I think it's going to be a close game. And Doug Peterson, it's a revenge game. So I like the Jaguars with the points. I just think it's too many points. What I don't think is too many points is 10. The Packers minus 10 against the Pats. That's pick four. No Mac Jones. The Patriots, as we're going to talk about with a recurring guest in the uh, interview segment, don't really have any elite players. So I think this is going to be a walloping. Packers minus 10. My last pick, Kansas City minus one and a half against Tampa. Tampa is going to be really good eventually. I don't think that's starting right now because I think their wide receiver core is decimated. And I think this is a get-right game for the Chiefs, so I think the Chiefs are really good, one of the three best teams in the league. So I like the Chiefs minus one and a half against Tampa. So again, Lions minus four and a half, Texans plus five and a half, Jaguars plus six and a half, Packers minus 10, Chiefs minus one and a half. Those are your week's Four picks against the spread. Can't believe it's already week four. A quarter of the season is basically done. And again, those lines are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. With that said, we're going to bring on a recurring guest who requested to come on to rant about the Patriots. Actually going to ask him about the weird situation going on with the Boston Celtics, and we're going to get to him in just a matter of moments. So I teased it in the monologue. I have a recurring guest on who actually requested to come on to rant about his favorite football team. And no, it is not the Denver Broncos. It is the New England Patriots. Mr. Avi Wexler. Avi, what's good, buddy? How you doing? Oh, so happy to be here. And, you know, I know you mentioned the Broncos, and I don't even know if I'd want to be a Broncos fan right now either. We can get into that later. But, yeah, not a great not a great state for the New England Patriots right now. That's that's for sure. Well, yeah, the, the Russell Wilson contract is not looking great for the Broncos. Nathaniel Hackett, not really 100% sure if he has a clue of what he's doing just yet. But by all accounts, everybody says he's brilliant, so maybe he'll figure it out. But we're here to talk about the New England Patriots. I think that safe to say the dynasty is over, and you actually requested to talk about the New England Patriots. But before we get into that, obviously, big news out of Boston sports is the Ime Udoka situation. Um, there was some type of extramarital affair. By all accounts, it was consensual uh, that there was no real funny business. So my question to you is this. Um, and it was very vague when all the details came out and then it was just like, all right, he had an extramarital affair, it was consensual. And then Matt Barnes drops that video on Twitter that he takes back everything he said, uh, cause it was really messy. But from, but again, from what I understand is that even the messiness was just more consensual behavior and I'm not getting into the morality of, of, you know, messing around outside your marriage, but are the Celtics kind of overreacting here? Yeah. I, I thought that they were only because it seems that a, the league isn't stepping in with this punishment, right? This isn't like a, a situation where it's anything that's like inherently illegal and we don't need to go into the morality of it, but if it's a team decision, and they're not giving any details. Like the report came out from, from Woj, right? It was Woj and then maybe Shams also supplemented too. Yeah. But it doesn't seem like based on everything that we know that it deserves a one-year suspension. And I think it's also tough because you're basically saying we don't agree with this behavior and we're going to suspend you. 
but we also aren't going to fire you and we're not going to really let you resign. So we're going to give you this punishment for a year, which seems pretty egregious based on what's being reported. And we're also not going to let you go, but we clearly can't have you around the team. But I don't know, to me, like if I were the Celtics and I was running the team based on everything that we know, once again, it seems like this should have been like a fine and like maybe like a two, three week punishment. And then, you know, business is business back to usual. I, I don't understand it based on what we know. So yeah, I'm with you. It's confusing. When if when the report first came out and, you know, and then the Matt Barnes thing, I was just like, did, was there like, you know, some, some rape involved? Or did he, did he like, did he, God forbid, like hit some woman with like a two by four or something? Right. Like, I was just so confused. Right. I was like, and, and again, I'm not advocating for stepping outside your marriage, right? Like that's not, it's not what this is, but that's not illegal. And it seems like to be, you know, fined and suspended, there has to be some illegal action here because that, that just to me, like bad behavior, or I should say immoral behavior, that's not illegal. I'm not like, I just think that's a little bit of an overreaction. No, yeah, I mean, this isn't, this isn't Notre Dame. Like this is like, everybody, right. everybody's adults here. Like this isn't like a religious thing. And I don't know. I, I think maybe it comes down to, and I, I don't want to speculate on who, who the woman or women were that were involved because there were multiple reports coming out. But if it was, it would make sense to me that this punishment came down because of like, maybe the woman who was involved was related with somebody who works at a very high level of the team. And maybe that's right. where it comes from. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand it. I really don't get it. Um, and it, yeah, as you said before, it, this isn't, this is the NBA and like a lot of players and a, a lot of coaches have relationships that, you know, we don't talk about, but we are aware of like how many times do we see players or coaches getting caught liking things that they shouldn't or getting caught saying things in DMS that they shouldn't. And they, you know, there's the famous D'Angelo Russell, uh, Nick uh, Young situation. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. And like, obviously nothing really came of that. I mean, it definitely ruined D'Angelo Russell's situation with the Lakers, but still I like, it doesn't go back to Kobe and Shaq. Right. One of the exactly. things that, that, you know, Shaq hated about Kobe was he basically snitched on him for extramarital affairs. Yeah. And then I think Shaq came out recently to the, like yesterday or today and was saying like, I can't really comment on this Udoka situation because I was a habitual or serial cheater or whatever. So I, yeah, I, it's a weird situation. I want to know what Matt Barnes knows exactly for him to kind of backpedal that much, but Based on that, plus the severity of the punishment, it has to be something that's pretty reprehensible, but no one's come out and said anything. And the fact that the team also hasn't done anything, at least officially or publicly, with the woman or women that were involved from the Celtics side, that also is a little strange because I feel like if anything, as much as they'd want to protect whoever was involved from the other side, there probably should be some clearing of maybe you should just move somewhere else or work somewhere else. And obviously that would out that person or people, but right. I feel like, you know, if you're going to essentially cut Ime Yudoka from the team and I don't see a world where he returns next year based on this, I, I don't know how you let the women still work there either, especially because it was by all accounts consensual. So I'm not sure. It's a very weird situation. Well, I'll tell you this. The nature of pro sports is that if the Celtics decide to let him go, he's going to get hired in an instant because yep. Yep. he's good at his job right and this is and this is professional sports where this isn't a morality play this is professional sports it's the way things work if you're good at right. your job you're going to get a second chance assuming there was no criminal behavior yep. and i just 
I find it puzzling the PR handling by the Celtics where it's just like being in and out almost makes it worse. Like you got to be in or you got to be out. And I know the dust has to settle and, and maybe you just keep it in house until then. But I, I don't know. I just seems like it is just just a weird situation, just a weird story. Yeah, it's also weird the, of the timing of all of it, because I guess based from what we know, it came out in like June or July. And that's like when the Celtics internal investigation started in this. But to hear about it now is odd. I don't think there was like a leaking because it doesn't benefit Ime Yudoka for this to leak. I don't think it benefited the Celtics either because it doesn't make them look good either by kind of staying quiet during this saga. So I, I'm not really sure. I think this was just a case of Woj getting a good tip and, you know, being Woj. Right. So I, 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 it's very weird. I think it's also weird that the players have said that they haven't had any contact with, with Yudoka, which I guess is probably par for the course. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I'm not totally sure. It's just, it's a very weird way to start a season especially when we always talk about the championship hangover in sports where teams that lose in the finals or win the finals they have a hard time getting back there the next year and you know this could be one of the other reasons if not the main reason that the Celtics can't get back to the finals is because of that so okay that's a good transition because we last question on this was a couple episodes ago we were previewing the um the standings and my my buddy um johnny nolman and i both agreed that we we thought the celtics would have the best record in the east okay this was before all this came out right obviously this changes it a little bit because there's just turmoil and turmoil is just bad so what do you think this does to the celtics upcoming season because again you know they lost a highly respected assistant coach of the Utah Jazz, right? Danny Ainge poached him. I forget what his name is. Will Hardy, yeah. Will Hardy, right? Who, in theory, would have been the coach in waiting if, you know, Yudoka was gone. So so where do the Celtics kind of go from here, and how does this affect their season, in your so, opinion? Well, so it's interesting because the guy who I think is is slated now to replace him in the interim, uh, Missoula, I think Joe Missoula or something, he also has some weird track record from his time in college with – I think possibly like a domestic violence charge or there was also oh, nice. Yeah. So I, I don't really understand the PR move there either. Uh, I don't really know um, from a coaching standpoint. I don't know how much of it, cause I, and I'm not as much of an expert in the inner workings of, of, of Udoka's coaching. I don't know how much of it. He was an X's and O's guy compared to being like a rah, rah player coach guy who just knew how to drive his players really well. Obviously they're, coaches who can do both or coaches who are better than others in certain aspects. So from an X's and O's standpoint, I'm not sure because, you know, if the assistant coach is good enough or the interim coach is good enough, they can theoretically run those X's and O's. The question is when you need a good timeout or when you need to really pep up your guys, Udoka was always really good at that, telling them and getting in the players' faces and holding them accountable. Now, can this assistant coach who's going to be in the interim, is he going to be able to do that? Does he have that respect? I'm not sure. But also from uh, just a on the court perspective, I, I think the Celtics, I mean, their roster got better, I think, over the course of the season because they did get Brogdon. I guess we'll be losing Gallinari for, for the for the season, but uh, I think Brogdon was a nice uh, addition to the team. Plus, you'll have yes. a healthier Tatum, a better Jalen Brown and whatnot. Um, I think there will be some regression with the team. I don't know if they'll have the best record 
though, in the conference. I think Milwaukee's still very good, and if Middleton comes back healthy, they're going to be tough. I still say they're probably like a top two or three seed in the East. Um, I just think it's going to be hard for them to get back to the finals again, especially without Yudoka kind of uh, carrying the ship. Weird, weird story coming out of Boston. And I guess the timing for them, where the Celtics are in this timeline in a quest for a championship, it, it's not exactly what you want right now, right. considering the ascension of, of the team. Uh, a team that is not ascending. It was ascending for a while, and then they pissed off Tom Brady, and the team has not ascended. Uh, your New England Patriots. I'm going to just let you have your moment to just rant a little bit. The floor is yours, and I'm going to enjoy this. So take it away. Where do you want to start? You know, there isn't really a great place to start because going into the season, I, I didn't really have high hopes for the team, and I think that really just kind of – started last year when the uh, Bills just beat the doors off of us in back-to-back meetings, and one of them ended our seasons. Uh, and that's kind of when I realized that as good of a season that Mac Jones had and as nice of a bounce-back season it was for the team after the Cam Newton year and Tom Brady's last year, thinking that, oh, this team is like, you know, in a different phase of its dynasty where it's still very much competing. Now they have the new quarterback of the future. They have some really good pieces on offense and defense. I realize now end of last season and so far this season that the Patriots just aren't in that upper tier of shoe-in division winner or playoff Super Bowl contender anymore. So it's kind of depressing. Um, And I don't really know where to go from that as a fan. And it definitely didn't help that uh, on Sunday we lost Mac for at least a few weeks, if not half half of the rest of the season or even more based on this ankle injury. Um, you definitely don't want to see your, uh, your second year quarterback who's been having an up and down year, uh, hop off the field and, uh, get carried into the tunnel in pain because of an ankle injury. And I think from what the reports are right now, it's a high ankle sprain, but yeah, I can't say that, uh, things are looking great for the Patriots, but even taking that injury in a vacuum and looking elsewhere for the team, just the way that it's constructed, how the off season's gone with the brain drain at coaching and talent, I just... I don't see a scenario where the Patriots are a playoff team for the next like two or three years, barring some significant changes. And that's just to make the playoffs or the wild card round, let alone being a Super Bowl contender like they have been for the first 20 years of the, uh, of the two thousands. Like I, I, I just don't see it. I don't see what the direction is. I don't really understand what the moves are. I don't see any key cornerstone players that we have on our team that any other team would be jealous of having. And that's, kind of what the New England Patriots team was kind of built on for those Tom Brady, uh, Bill Belichick years. Now I feel like we're kind of uh, up Creek without a paddle, as they say. I was about to ask you that question. Who's the Patriots best player? I mean, that's, that's the problem. Like I'm at like a loss for words. You have a bunch of really solid red chip players but you don't have any blue chippers, you know, like you don't have a elite defensive player. You don't have an elite offensive player. There isn't a player that keeps the coaches up at night, the night before the game or like on Monday, Tuesday, when the game planning being like, Oh, how are we going to account for this guy? We don't have a Jamar chase. We don't have an air Donald. And it's like, okay, fine. Those are two of the best players in the league. We don't have like an elite separator offensively we don't have an elite running back we have two very solid running backs we don't have an elite quarterback we have a very solid 
high floor, low ceiling quarterback in Mac Jones. I think Mac not a floor raiser. Not a not a no, exactly. He is, I think if he gets you to like a Ryan Tannehill level, an Alex Smith level, that's good. But those guys are not gonna raise your team. I think he's a very good quarterback. And yes, he's only in his second year and he still needs time and he's very elite at processing, but he's had an up and down year with the decision making. Now he's hurt and he hasn't displayed any of those elite traits that Burrow, Herbert, Lamar, any of the Allen, obviously any of these young quarterbacks display. He doesn't have a a rocket arm. He doesn't have elite mobility. And some of the decision making this year, especially has been a little bit head scratching. If, you know, if I, if I was being nice, just because from a year one that he had, and maybe it's just because of the coaching, he was kind of reined in a little bit, but now with Joe judge and Matt Patricia running the offense and the play calling, I, I don't know how much of it is on Mac kind of overload having to do so much with him, or he's just listening to bad coaches, but I don't know what to do. We're not playing Kendrick Bourne. Who's I guess by ESPN's new metric, one of like the better receivers and most underused receivers in the league. But like, I've always had a soft spot for Devonte Parker. I like Devonte Parker, but he's not a separator. Like he's a guy who can like make a catch, but you can't rely on him day in day out, right? You don't have a Tyree Kill. You don't. You have Nelson Aguilar. Like Nelson Aguilar has the traits, but he's not elite, and like he's a meme, right? Like the whole Nelson Aguilar is forever going to be the meme of the guy who caught those kids jumping out of an apartment, right? Like that's the problem. Like you, you don't have this, you're giving money to guys who can't stay healthy and can't do things at the elite level. And part of that is because you're drafting guys like Nikhil Harry, Joan Williams, Chase Winovich. And those three guys were our first three picks from like the 2019 draft, all of whom are uh, combined. I don't know, three meaningful plays in their Patriots careers. Like there isn't anything there. Like, I'm just like looking down the list as we speak right now. There really isn't a solid contributor from the draft class from any draft class on this team since 2016. That's still on the team. Part of that is because, you know, guys move on or guys get hurt, whatever. But like other than Joe Tooney, who's no longer here or uh, Dietrich wise, maybe is our most established player from like 2017 and on like there, we just don't have anybody good. Isaiah Wynn is a head scratcher of a first round pick who hasn't been able to stay healthy. Hasn't been like a stalwart on the line. Uh, Damian Harris is fine, but you know, I don't think we're going to give him a contract and the way that running backs go, like why would you give a second contract to a really good running back when you can just keep uh, finding new ones off the scrap heap? It's not really worth it. I'd say like, maybe I, I guess this, our best player on defense is Kyle Duggar. And like, he's very solid. And I was still hating the pick back then because he was a division two player from Lenore Ryan. And it was like, there were other D one guys who were available and you could have gotten Kyle Duggar later. I don't know. It's just, it's so bad. I, and I can see for the people who can't watch this, your smile is as wide as can be. Ear to ear, baby. Ear to ear. 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 It's, it's so bad. It's just this is wonderful. I love yeah. this. It's like, um, it's, it's crazy. I, I want to ask you, because you're, you're a Giants fan, so you've had the highs and lows more than I'd say anybody that I know. But when you wake up on Sunday, you look at your roster and like, okay, we got Saquon and we got Kayvon Thibodeau. We got all these like really cool players. Okay, we have Daniel Jones, but, you know, whatever. We have something. With the Patriots, it's like, okay, well, if we can hold the team to 22 points and if we don't turn the ball over at all, 
then maybe we have a shot. But like, we don't have any of these guys who can just make these time and time again, gotta have it plays. And that's the frustrating part. You know? Well, Matthew Judon was kind of like that last year. I think maybe he played over his, uh, over his ability last year. And who's the first round pick that they picked in this past year's draft? Who everybody was talking about was a reach. Oh, Cole Strange. He's been good. He, he's been good. He's right. been good. So people seem to like him. Yeah. But if but, those are your two best players, that's a bit of a problem. That's a problem. And and like the thing was, my issue with the pick was, and this is like classic at this point, the Patriots created this hole at offensive line interior because they decided to trade away Shaq Mason, who's a very solid guard, to the Bucks for a fifth round pick. They did this because they wanted to shed some cap space. That's fine. But then you end up creating this need at the guard position. So what do you do? You then take your first round pick and you overreach for a guard who maybe you could have gotten in the second round. Also by every expert in the league, you don't need to draft a guard in the first round unless like it's like the one missing hole on your team because the value of a guard, unless even if they're a hall of fame guard is still lower than a pro bowl contributing skill player or someone who even plays tackle. And that's the problem. I understand the value thing. I get that. But I'll also say this, like I'm of the mindset that you just, if you think somebody's going to be wearing a gold jacket one day, you just take the guy. Like I, I, I've always believed that. I've always That's thought right, that yeah. the Jimmy Johnson, um, you know, model in terms of like equating picks to certain, you know, sure. values. I, I think People have been going by the book of that so much that now you can find inefficiencies in the market oh, and, right. and you can get good guys. But it, I, I wanted to ask you about uh, two questions yeah, um, yeah. because the Patriots are really bereft of talent and because Belichick tried to spend money to cover up these holes and those players haven't hit. Now they're in a cap situation, too, where the bottom's really going to have to fall out. So I ask you this. One, Belichick as a Italian evaluator, is he completely over the hill? Second part of that question, Belichick as a coach, is has the game passed him by? Yeah, I, I, so I don't uh, – I, I think it's easier to answer it. Uh, the talent evaluator, I'd say – only in certain areas of the field, because I think that he has like all, as all talent about as all talent evaluators have, they have blind spots. I think his blind spots are offensive skill players and edge rushers when it comes to the draft. I think those are his biggest issues and those are pretty key positions, but where he hits are line guys on the line, both offensive and defensive and secondary guys. And then, arguably quarterback, right? Like Mac Jones, solid quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, Jimmy Garoppolo, Tom Brady, obviously all, you know, NFL quarterbacks to varying degrees, but still. So he has some spots where he's good at finding quarterback or good at finding talent, other blind spots. I would say the issue is that him as Italian evaluator hamstrings his ability to coach. That being said, his coaching is still great. They still have a very good defense they were holding the Ravens pretty well until the offense kind of just fell apart. Uh, they held the Dolphins, who are now 3-0, and to a very low-scoring game. And I think they have some guys. John Jones, I guess, who's like right now PFF's number one corner. And I know PFF has some 
issues and you know they don't tell the full story but right you know, the number one rated corner and he and by the eye test he passes too he's been great and he even drafted a couple of corners this year who are also good jack jones and marcus jones um and they have some guys in the secondary who are still very good i, I think that his evaluation is what's hampering his coaching because when you don't have the elite players, they can't make up for the mistakes that happen in game because mistakes will happen. The question is, can you overcome them or can you afford to overcome them? And he does, they don't have those equalizing talent players to raise them over mistakes. Ryan Rosillo called the Patriots the most boring team in the league. They're up there. And what say there. you? I would say it's not them. I'd say it's still like the Bears, the Texans. There's still some. Well, some the Bears problems. are still evaluating, I guess. The Texas, the Bears are evaluating a quarterback, but it seems like Fields has a higher ceiling, but maybe a lower floor than Mac. So even that, it's like you know, Mac is more boring than Fields. That's totally fair. It's totally you can say that it's it's boring. I'd say this is one of the more boring Patriots teams comparatively, but I wouldn't say it's like a bottom five boring team to watch. And maybe that's just me. I would say like I would still say the Texans are boring. I would still say the Bears are boring. Um, I would say that the Panthers are very boring. Even though they have all these exciting players, they're really boring to watch. I have them over six and a half wins this year, and I actually feel really good about that's it. That's fair. I mean, that's totally fair. I just, to me, like, they're just not, Rosillo is to an extent right. Like, they're not a fun team. They get, they stall on their drives, and they don't have any elite players that make you go, wow, did you see that? Wow. They just have a bunch of very solid players and they're coached up very well, which hides some of the inefficiencies, but eventually that will show. And that's where they are prob- problematic. I'm like hopeful that the receiver that they traded up for Taekwon Thornton becomes something, Oy. but I, I mean, they could have picked George Pickens there and, and then he goes to the Steelers in the next pick and, I know that that the that the numbers aren't showing for Pickens, but I think that's more of a issue with the offensive line and their quarterback than it is for the talent that he has. Yeah, and the Steelers are notoriously good at picking wide receivers oh. after the first round. Let me ask you a question. The Patriots right now, it looks like they may have a top 10 pick. Sure. It's a quarterback-rich draft. Do you make the move? No, I, I would, I would stand Pat. Uh, I think Mac is good. I think you don't need to change him. I think you just need to change some pieces around him and then change the scheme. If anything, I would, I would actually use that pick and either try to dangle it for a quarterback needy team. Cause there are going to be plenty. I don't know where Brady's going to be next year. Where Rogers is going to be next year. Jimmy G well, Rogers signed an extension. He's not yeah, going anywhere, but he could just be going year to year at this point. I mean, another first round exit for them and the way that their rosters, I feel like the honestly, the, the Packers are just a, a better quarterback version of the Patriots where they have run heavy. Well, they have, they have more elite defensive players too. They do, but I, I would just say they're a team that relies heavily on their defense and then they're running backs for offensive production. And then they have a, obviously a way more elite quarterback, but I could just see Rodgers, you know, being stuck in another uh, one-and-done playoff run and being like, okay, I'm ready to go. I don't need to be here. I can retire. I, he's – I mean, is Rodgers not the Kyrie Irving of the NFL at this point? Like, he's, you know – I think he's a little bit more stable than Kyrie Irving. He is, but he's very mercurial, and I'd say yes. that as yes. somebody who's also at the twilight of his career, who's also, like – openly talked about retirement for the last few years. I'd say he's a guy where 
you know, if he doesn't go his way another time and then he sees another team in the NFC starting to climb, he's like, All right, what am I doing here? Like I could just bounce, you know, Jeopardy isn't Jeopardy isn't losing anything with me uh, not on the sidelines, you know? So I, I would say this, I would say, hold on to Mac because he's still on the rookie deal. And I think he's still a very good quarterback based on how last year went. I'd say he was the best rookie quarterback last year. So as down of a year as this is, I don't think that that's as much of an indictment on his talent. I think that's just a roster building. I would hold it, dangle it for one of those teams. That's going to be more quarterback needy or like the New York giants, like the New York giants. And then, you know, or just hold Pat and grab the second coming of Lawrence Taylor. That is Will Anderson out of Alabama, that behemoth of a lineman. Um, I don't, again, I'm not an NFL draft expert, obviously. I, I, from what I've heard, again, briefly, that the skill position guys, mainly the wide receivers, obviously we've had a run of great wide receivers in the first round last couple of years. I don't think we have that this year. So that's kind of tough for the Patriots if you're saying to hold on to Mac because you may want a decision maker, a decision, uh, not maker, but like a, a floor raiser, a quarterback. Yeah. You can dangle Mac and get something for him. I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see. But last question, we'll leave you out on this. Yeah. Do you now, are you now starting to understand what most NFL fans go through in terms of being sad most of your existence? <laughs> because you are about to enter a very, very sad state of your fandom. The honey, the, you know, the honeymoon that was the 20 years with Brady and all that, that is over. It's never happening again because now you've got Josh Allen in the division. The AFC is stacked, but that varies year to year. And, and again, a lot of things can happen. There is more turnover in terms of the NFL than there is in any other sport. But Josh Allen in the division, he's not going anywhere. No. Tua looks like he's pretty freaking good. Uh, um, I'm, I'm not sold on Tua. I'm, I don't know how sold I am on Tua still. Well, he's good with this Dolphins team right now. He made right a now. lot of ni- He's made a lot of nice throws the last two weeks. I've always been a Tua believer. That's fine. Are you ready to be a normal NFL fan that experiences 80% of your life going forward being sad? Yeah, I, I think I am actually, and I, I'm I'm almost at peace with it because of how good the first 20 years of of my Patriots fandom was. That I I'm like happy that I got to like kind of be in that amazing dynasty time, and now I can just spend all my NFL fandom on fantasy football and gambling because there isn't because that's 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 how I'm just gonna have to fill the void of being a of a fanatic at this point. So yeah, I I'm. I'm happy to to live amongst the common people now, knowing how great it was. I'd say this: it's better to have loved and than lost than never to have loved at all. So I, I I'm I'm resigned to it at this point. This, this is true, and I use that same logic as a Yankees fan because the Yankees cheaped out on not getting uh, Luis Castillo at the trade deadline, and they do all this stuff with these prospects. They don't play the prospects. They don't develop the prospects properly. They're going to lose Aaron Judge in the offseason. I'm just ready for sadness myself. But I experienced a lot of, you know, joys early on, which kind of, um, you know, carried me through. So I can I can appreciate that. Yeah, totally get it. Totally. Hey, I'm happy to I'm happy. Just save me a seat at the table. I'm happy to be here. I'll say this, though, in our little pick'em pool, um, I went with the Packers this week, needless yeah. to say. 
Oh, well, of course. That made, that made so much more sense. I'm, I'm going to dump off on the Packers as well. I'm, I'm probably picking against the Patriots almost exclusively until uh, Mac comes back. And even then, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'll say this, Avi. Thank you so much for doing this late last minute. Really appreciate it. I definitely enjoyed uh, your sorrow. Yeah. I'm enjoying your sorrow. It was it was wonderful, but I, I'm I'm happy to be an outlet for your frustrations. You can always give a good rant on here. The floor is always yours. You always have a spot, uh, and I appreciate you, brother. And thanks so much for doing it. I'll speak to you soon. Of course, man. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Later. Thanks again to a very special recurring guest, Mr. Avi Wexler, for coming on to rant about his New England Patriots, talk a little bit about the Celtics. But I really wanted to talk about the Patriots because I very much appreciated his sadness being a Patriots fan because the Pats fans have been very arrogant, very arrogant over the years. And now they're getting a dose of medicine that all other fan bases get. It turns out when you let Tom Brady walk, you don't treat him with respect, that's what happens. So this was great. Absolutely great. Thanks again to him for coming on. That's episode 177 for the love of the game. Take us out, Kanye, Luda, and the, the YGs and khakis and white tees with air ones in every color like iced tea. I might be the city of Compton's right knee. The way I paint pictures with these hip-hop scriptures. Pay attention while the game shine like a prism. Glisten, show you how canaries could alter one's vision. Not to mention, I am Dr. Drake Christen on behalf of Luda and Kanye. See, I'm going breathe easy. Where you at? The whole city behind us. Uh, Where you at? The whole city behind us. South side, outside, west side, let's ride. Where you at? The whole city behind us. Where you at? The whole city behind us. Uh, Where you at? The whole city behind us. South side, outside, uh, west side, let's ride. Where you at? The whole city behind us. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.